Welcome to the Art of Holiness podcast, where we are creating conversations and communities that expose the kingdom of God. This is a New Room Network podcast. Here are your hosts, Carolyn Moore and Pierce Drake. Hey everybody, I hope you're doing well. Welcome back to the Art of Holiness podcast. This is Pierce Drake, like you heard on the intro with Carolyn Moore. We're so grateful that you're here. We don't take it for granted that every week, at some point in your week, you download this episode or you have it downloaded, you get the update, and you take the time to listen. And I'm going to go with Carolyn today and say that you have your notebook out, you're taking notes, your candle is set, and uh, you're ready not only to listen, but to learn and to hear some kingdom news. And so, hey, uh, we've been introducing people to new friends, old friends, uh, people they've heard of, maybe they haven't heard our conversation with them. But today is a fascinating conversation with someone that I had no idea who he was, uh, which is always fun. Those are the ones that I just walk away because I go into them without knowing anything, just come away so blown away. Mm -hmm. So tell us about Scott Kelso. The coolest thing really, Pierce, is that he connects us back to the podcast two weeks ago when we interviewed Bob Garrett. Um, Scott Kelso and Bob Garrett are connected because they're both part of 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 a charismatic movement and uh, in the United States and beyond, um, that that kind of stretches across from the Protestant Church over into the to the Roman Catholic Church, and so you're getting somebody. We're beginning to to build a little network here. Um, Scott Kelso is a writer, a community organizer, and a prophet to the church. Currently, he serves as the general overseer of the Five Points Greater Columbus Apostolic Network, which is an alliance of churches and ministries gathered to see the kingdom of God established and maintained in the greater Columbus, Ohio area. Served with Aldersgate Renewal Ministries and is the president of the Charismatic Leaders Fellowship, which is a national group of leaders comprising denominational, non-denominational, and Catholic fellowships. And that's how he connects with Bob Garrett and Bob's community in Augusta, Georgia. Scott's authored two books, Ice on Fire and Theological Violence in the 21st Century. And in this episode, we're going to talk to him about theological education, what it means to be a prophetic church, and the values of God. I can guarantee you, folks, this one is deeper and richer and better than you're thinking right now, if you don't already know the name Scott Kelso. So keep listening. So, Scott, it's great to have you with us on the podcast. We, I'm really excited because as I began to dig into your life, I found all kinds of intersections, and I'm just really excited about that. I'm interested in so many things you're up to. So I want to start with your role in drawing churches together in Columbus, Ohio. How did that come about? What are you learning as churches in your network try to work together? Talk to us about that. Okay. Um Really, for many, many years, uh, I've, I've leaned towards interfacing with pastors uh, for fellowship and for theological stimulation. Uh-huh. And uh, in Columbus, um, in the 1980s, uh, a group of leaders that I was, I was with, invited to be with, started um, a, a fellowship called um, CCAM, the Capital City Association of Ministers in churches. And um, it was an association it was to bring pastors and leaders together uh, to have fellowship, to encourage unity, to study the word, to pray. Uh, it was a monthly meeting. We ate lunch together. We worshiped together. And um, then we usually had a speaker and um, it was really good. And so that was, that went on for years and years and years. And the guy who invited me to it, Willard Jarvis, um, was getting near death and he asked me to take over in the in the year 2000 so um i did and then i led that group uh from 2000 to 2018 and when in 2018 i had a dream and i don't dream very much at all and um the lord prodded me the lord asked me to um consider taking the group and transitioning into an apostolic network over the city. And so I didn't really even know, you know, what that meant exactly. But um, I, of course, said yes. And I started reading eight or 10 books on the apostolic. And uh, and um, God just led me through the whole thing. I, I chose a steering committee of pastors from all over the city 
we call it Five Points Greater Columbus Apostolic Network. And uh, that's because it represents the five points, the, in, the inner city, the north, the east, the south, and the west. We have representatives on the steering committee. From, these are seasoned people who are well-known in Columbus. And, and so, you know, that's kind of how we started. And um, I got them together. The first meeting, I had a whiteboard. I said, what are the three greatest needs in this city? Mm-hmm. And to a person, they said, the crime problem, uh, drug problem, human trafficking. So we adopted the first two and we, we adopted a zip code 43205, which is just east of downtown and the African-American uh, kind of a depressed area. And uh, we're going in there and we are bound and determined to see the kingdom of God um, displayed in that area of the city. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's there's there, there are terms. I just I'm just hungry to hear several things that you have to say about that. First, apostolic sounds Pentecostal. Hmm. So you know that's that, those are the folks who tend to use that term. We in the Methodist stream don't so much, but uh, right. but but you you heard that term apostolic. You also use the term prophetic a lot. Um, talk to me about those terms and. Um, I mean, why why use it? And you've you've told us about the dream, but why? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, in the latter part of the the latter half of the 20th century, um, there was uh, a restoration movement to restore the fivefold offices to the body yeah. of Christ. Yeah. And um, so you can track this through the 70s, late 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And um, the apostolic came into view. It was the last one that really kind of came into view in the 1990s, the 2000s. See, Peter Wagner was one of the big guys, um, you know, promoting it. And um, so the apostolic is kind of a governing foundational ministry. It, 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 it kind of, it's kind of about the big picture in a geographical area or for the body of Christ. Okay, it's a big picture ministry. And um, in Columbus, we saw ourselves um, as kind of a big picture group, uh, kind of gatekeepers for the city, um, blocking those things, those entities, which would were designed to destroy and authorizing those things in the city that would build the body of Christ. And so, the apostolic and the prophetic really are designed to work as like a hand in glove ministry. Mm. They go together and we have people on our steering committee and people throughout the city. The beautiful thing about this is that because of the CCAM group, the capital city association uh, meeting for so long that we have really significant relationships. And that's really what the body of Christ is relationships. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we had these significant relationships already intact when we launched this apostolic network. And so it was, um, you know, it was kind of a, a, a no brainer really. And uh, so the Lord's given us favor in the city. We're not the only group that see, you know, like governing over the city or whatever. We don't see ourselves as the group, but we see ourselves as part of the picture because we're committed to the city and we're committed to um, unity and we're committed to the gospel and and seeing a revival and a renewal come to our city. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, You've written this, a prophetic church has found the ability to stay connected to God's thoughts and heart in the midst of a significant cultural deterioration. Can you say more about what it means to be a prophetic church today? Okay, sure. Um, The prophetic keeps us in touch with the heart of God, Mm. contextually, okay? Contextually. It's about hearing God. That's what the prophetic is. It's hearing God. How How did Abraham know how to leave Ur and go around the you know, Fertile Crescent down into Israel. He didn't have a Bible. He heard from God. How did Moses know how to take Mm. these people out of Egypt? I mean, the whole Old Testament is predicated on this principle, hearing God. God wants to speak to us. He's always speaking. The question is, are we hearing? So I, I, I see the prophetic pokes and prods the body of Christ um, toward 
kingdom living. Mm. And uh, much of the church today doesn't even know about it or practice it because the, because much of the church today is a cultural expression of Christianity. It's removed from core biblical Christianity, wow. as far as I see. And um, so the prophetic helps keep us on course, um, kind of tethered to the heart of God while we minister to real community challenges. And um, it's been a part of my life for ever since I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in seminary. And um, so so in the prophetic, we're hearing from God, um, the New Testament church. Um, well, when you think of the Old Testament people of God, they, like I said, all they had was this relationship with the living God, you know, Yahweh. And in the New Testament church, this is interesting, Carol, in the New Testament church, they had the Old Testament scriptures and they had uh, the promises that Jesus, of Jesus in their, in their midst, but that's all they had. They did not have paid clergy. They did not mm-hmm. have uh, denominations. They did not have a New Testament, and they did not have church buildings. Yeah. So you tell me how in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 that they turned the world upside down. Right. Right. All right? Yeah. And they tell me how, th- yeah, I was going to say, and tell me how when we say we want to be in Acts chapter 2, you know, church, <laughs> that we're, we're, we're not hitting on any of those. I mean, <laughs> keep going. Yeah, so... You know, they they did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, Jesus Jesus made it very plain. He said, do not leave Jerusalem till you get this, you get this power. And it was, they had everything else intact, but they did not have the power. And and so they needed that. And that power really, um, we're talking, we're talking about an anointing. An anointing. There's there's two functions, two basic functions of the Holy Spirit, I think, um, in the Bible. One is the spirit within, which brings life. We've become God's spirit uh, uh, brings life into our spirit. We're born again. But then the second action of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is the spirit upon, which brings power for ministry. And so... You know, we see this anointing all through the Old Testament. I mean, you know, Jacob uh, anoints uh, stones that he laid his head on. Uh, we see the anointing. Moses anointed the tabernacle. They anointed buildings. They anointed shields for war. They anointed bread. They anointed kings. This anointing thing was this was the the deal in the Old Testament yeah. um, because. It brought divine favor on the one mm-hmm. or the thing that was anointed. All yeah. right, and there's scriptures for all this, but and it was implicit uh, in the in this outpouring, this anointing of God's spirit, that there would be uh, an authority given um, to a, a power and authority given to accomplish the task that the anointing was for. Mm. And so, you know, they received that anointing in Acts chapter 2, and it just blew the church wide open. They just, you know, they just went out and started, as John Wimber said, started doing this stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's the way it happened. And that's what we're lacking today. We're lacking that. We've yeah. got all the tools. We've got the books. We've got the, uh, I was going to say tapes, but that. That, that's, that, that dates me. That, that dates me, Pierce. We, we've got yeah. the, the CDs are even going out now. So yeah. yeah, but you know we've got all this, all those right. things. Yeah. Don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we need. That's what the church needs. Do you yeah. see? Yeah, we're, we're just we're just both chomping. We are. Uh, you go first, and I'll go. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think has been in the church? That's that's quenching that desire to even go after that 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 anointing that kind of second second thing that you're talking about with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, in our case and in many other cases, we are we are we live in the denominational world, so right. it's a denominational uh, structure format, 
And that whole thing is about power and um, yeah. control. Okay. Right. And so that's why they won't allow this thing to come in in a full measure because yeah. they're not willing to give up the power and the control. I've seen it yeah. for years. Yeah. yeah. It's just the way it works. It yeah. reminds me, it reminds me of Alan Hood at uh, New Room this past year. He said, um, a lot of us are going to churches where gangrene's growing up your leg and you don't know it because you got it, but every visitor that walks in smells it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> there's, there's a pungent yeah. uh, analogy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Good so analogy. I don't want to, I don't want to move too quickly past the apostolic and prophetic yeah. giftings because I just think there's so much there. Um, and, and, and Alan Hurst says, we have majored on evangelism, mm -hmm. shepherding, and teaching, and we've lost we lost the A and the P and Apest yeah. and the fivefold gifts. We lost the apostolic. We lost the prophetic. So, and and you you're saying we, we're. How, I want to ask two a two part question. The first part is, what exactly have we lost because we are anemic mm -hmm. in the apostolic and prophetic giftings? What exactly have we lost? And the second question is. Talking to a, a pastor who really does not, I mean, because I, you know, I know none of us in our stream are talking about these terms that are central, that are key. Um, so how do you talk to somebody who's not well-versed in this vocabulary about how to bring it into a church? Hmm. Those are good questions. Um, I think one way to bring it into the church is, is through eldership, actually. Um, this is what I did. This was probably the greatest decision that I ever made in 40 years of ministry. And it was to set up an eldership in the church and to work with, um, in our case, it was all men. Uh, but we're not in my book. You will read that it's both men and women. But in our case, back then when we did it the church was so female driven that we really felt like you know there needed to be a strong male presence and so we had our elders were men but um yeah we we taught them about eldership and we moved in in um you know biblical elderships what i did my doctoral ministry on and um and we would have these people um i brought my professor one night he came up to Columbus from Dayton from the seminary and uh, I want him to experience this. And so I brought him into our elders. We met every Monday night as a group and people would come in and we would pray over them. Um, all kinds of things, broken marriages, uh, people with heart disease, cancer, you name it, problems, all kinds of things. And, and these elders, the power of God was so strong that when the people actually entered the room, something took place wow. and, and, and people were healed, they were delivered. And it was the elders. And I remember we were sitting there one night and he was wondering to himself, well, you know, we we're interviewing these, it happened to be a younger couple. And she was, uh, she was going to be married to a pastor, a youth pastor. And, and, and there were some problems with the history of drugs in her life. And, and so we we prayed over her and those elders took turns ministering to her before we all kind of laid hands on her. And it was I mean, he was blown away. He said, I have never seen anything that operate that that smoothly uh, in a in a room with just the members of the church. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean. And, and so I think that's a way that uh, a pastor can help um, transfer the anointing, so to speak, to a larger group of people. And then they will go out through the congregation. I mean, our elders, they did hospital calls. They did they did all kinds of things that you would equate with, you know, traditional ministry. Uh -huh. But they would they just had an anointing that was they understood the Bible. And I taught them and we set it up that way. And and their basic function was to pray for me and to give spiritual governing over the congregation mm. not yeah. not board chairman not trustees you know not kitchen detail they were there to support the pastor pray for the pastor and to help the pastor govern spiritually 
what is God saying to this church? It, I'm telling you, it was the greatest. It was the greatest uh, decision I ever made. Wow. And, I, and I'll tell you, Scott, my, my sense is because because we have transitioned our vision team to a spiritual leadership team. OK. Uh, and, and away from uh, away from administrative uh, oversight to spiritual oversight. And, and I, I'm not sure you can do that if your appointment is two years long. Right. <laughs> you know, oh, of, wow. You know, <laughs> you've been you were in your church for 38 years. Is that 38? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And in the United <laughs> Methodist Church, brothers and sisters, it does happen. And I've been in my church for 18. And, but it take those things take time. Yeah, you know, they that do. kind of shift takes time. It doesn't happen overnight because you're you're developing people with that spiritually, that mindset. You're willing to take authority. Yes. Yeah. So let me come back to the first half of my question just to ask again. So what are we missing in the church because we do not emphasize apostolic or prophetic uh, leadership and or gifting? Well, I think the main thing that we're missing is um, a a sense and understanding of um, what Martin Luther called, you know, the priesthood of the believer. That we're not, we're 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 in a we're in a cultural vacuum where the pastor is trained and equipped to do everything. All right, and the pastor goes out there, and you know the congregation behind him, go pastor go. You know, and we have this big chasm between the clergy and the laity, yeah. and and the Bible teaches that the priesthood that every person in the church is part of the priesthood. Mm. And that's part of the whole yeah. my whole teaching and eldership and the priesthood of the believer. Very, very important. We empower the entire congregation are the ministers. And and so if you I mean it's amazing how much we've done since the Protestant Reformation, just with pastor teachers, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you think yeah. about it. Yeah. And without these other elements, uh, right. these other offices in the body of Christ. But now God is restoring those back to the body of Christ, and we're seeing ministry explode, um, at least in those sections of the church. But I, I think the main thing that we're we're lacking is that corporate understanding that the entire church are the ministers, and that you know you can do a spiritual gifts inventory, and, and your most of your people can find out what their proclivities are, what what they're what they're slanted toward in terms of of their mm-hmm. their motivational gift. What motivates them? I tell people, if you if you understand your motivational gift, then you you have the maximum amount of effectiveness and the minimum amount of frustration. That's and that's right. where we want to be. That's where we yeah. want to get to. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's my answer to that. Yeah, that's really good. I really like mm. I, I really like approaching the idea of spiritual gifts from the, from the standpoint of motivation. You don't even have to take a test to just just ask the question. Just ask yourself yeah. the question: What motivates yes. you? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So, you, in your chapter, we're we're going to talk about um, your book, uh, uh, theological violence in the twenty first century. No, you're not you're not pulling any punches on that title. <laughs> but yeah. man, so much there. Oh, so much. And I'm I'm right with you that we have we have done violence to the church mm. by by weakening truth, by weakening the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, by uh, yes. Um, so in your and by weakening form. Um, and so in your chapter about form, you mentioned an impressive statistic. Speaking of the charismatic movement, you write upwards of 65, 600, excuse me, 650 million people. Let me start again. Upwards of 650 million people worldwide have joined in this great move of God. In fact, it is the largest single section of the body of Christ on earth other than the Roman Catholic Church. Right. This movement isn't. And that's not a movement limited to a single tribe or denomination. It seems to flow through all of them like a stream in the desert to me. Um, so you use this example to talk about form and essence. And I understand you to say that the spirit-filled life is an essence that can fit into many forms. And I want to know why is that? And why does it so often tend to be something of an underground movement within more traditional forms. Okay. Um, I think that the different form, because 
life progresses, society progresses, everything yeah. changes, everything's changing all the time. God wants us to be able to adapt to the changing conditions of life in this world. Yeah. And um, so I, I think the different forms are needed to house the essence of the Holy Spirit, because God is the author of diversity. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't make two snowflakes alike. Yeah, <laughs> Diversity is not you know, it's not the enemy of unity uh, at all. We need diversity to express the many facets of God on the earth so that yeah. as many people as possible can be reached with the gospel of Christ. Yeah. And um, we know this because John tells us in the book of Revelation that every tribe, tongue, nation, and people yeah. will be represented in heaven, right? Right. right. So. Right. You know, the tragedy is that that most traditional forms of Christianity, which basically are denominational, denominationally oriented, uh, cannot experience the spirit filled renewal or they're not open to the spirit filled renewal. I mean, John Wesley would turn over in his grave if he knew what was happening in our church. And, and, you know, it's it's like it's because of that power control issue. But Jesus told his disciples, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which was control of religion for selfish purposes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, what we're battling through. Jesus battled it and we're going to battle it. and He comes back. But that's, I think, I think one of the reasons, but yeah, we, we've got to make room for um, different expressions you know, of the Holy Spirit uh, in order to reach as many people as possible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned three elements of renewal in the church. Talk about unity, worship, and evangelism. Can you talk about how each of these, uh, talk about each of these and how they each generate spiritual renewal? Okay. Yeah, that that chapter on um, the um, form and essence is probably one of the most important in some ways in the book. Um, so I use those three, those three illustrations, uh, unity, let's take unity first, because I've been involved in these pastoral groups in Columbus for years and years. And, mm-hmm. and uh, unity is so important. Unity is what G- just think of this. U- unity is what Jesus prayed for in John 17, right. verses 20 through 23. Jesus prayed for that. Right. And I don't know about you, but well, I do. But <laughs> Jesus, Jesus' prayers are answered. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. So, yes. and then we look. At, you know, you look at uh, Psalm one thirty three. Uh, there's a commanded blessing for unity in Psalm one thirty three. It's like the precious oil running down over the head of Aaron and dripping upon the the collar of his robes. It, it's it's a saturation. It's a wonderful, beautiful picture of uh, what God wants in unity. Paul tells us in Galatians that we are all one in Christ Jesus, male or female, or, or he goes through the, uh, his list there that, that we're one in Christ. And Paul tells us in, in Philippians, he, he says, I don't want any dissent, any dissensions, Let no dissensions be among you, but I want you all to agree. Yeah. It's, it was on the mind of the early church to be in unity. And then in this great uh, chapter in Ephesians chapter four, with uh, the apostolic and the prophetic, he, he, he starts out in verse three and he said, do everything in your power to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, so we can't create unity. It's given to us through the cross, through the through the action of God, through the blood of Jesus and being born again, being a part of the church. We are automatically brothers and sisters worldwide but we have to we have to work to maintain that so i don't know if that makes sense but that's why I, I look at it yeah that's unity. huge and i think i you know unity is tossed around a lot these days especially in our tradition uh among people saying you know why can't we all just get along um but i really like what you just said um, two things first unity comes from god we don't mm. generate it, first of all. Second, it's unity in the spirit. Yeah. Yes. It, he defines the what unity looks like. It's in the spirit. And and 
And so unity isn't just whatever I decide I want everybody to agree with, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I can have unity with my Catholic brothers and sisters who are in the renewal. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not into the incense and the bells uh, and all the things they do. Right. But there is a commonality through the Holy Spirit that we cannot deny, just like Peter said in Acts chapter 11, when they were, you know, when they were questioning him about uh, the house of Cornelius and what happened there. He said, hey, look, I can't. I can't forbid these people from being baptized. They got the same experience we have. That's right. right. That's right. right. That's right. So talk about worship and evangelism. Okay, worship. Worship is tethered to unity uh, because um, we become, there's so much about worship that uh, we, we could go through the scripture, Psalm 138, verse 1 through 3, Revelation chapter 4, um, where John has his, his great vision there and yeah. this has come up higher and he gets and and that whole thing is just so beautiful about worship worship draws us into the very presence and heart of god and and i'll tell you uh, i i i centered my church early on around worship if you drew a circle of a wheel with the hub and then the spokes going out the hub was worship at trinity mm -hmm. And then the spokes for evangelism and, you know, all the different aspects of, of traditional Christianity that we do in a local church. But the heart was worship. And, um, man, we had great worship teams. Um, in fact, our church probably was in revival. We didn't even know it through the entire 1980s. It wow. was unbelievable. You know, our service two, three hours long on Sunday morning, wow. and nobody complained. We had... Mm. We, we had communion. We had the power of God. So it was all it was all centered around worship. And what that happened was when I was first time in seminary back in 1970, I used to worship at a little American Baptist church in Centerville, Ohio, south of Dayton. On Sunday night, they had a, a, a service, a charismatic service. And this was American Baptist church. And you had little old ladies standing next to what we call hippies back then, you know, with mm -hmm. hair beards and, and they were all worshiping God, man. They were just transfixed in the presence of Jesus. And I thought to myself, this is what I want my church to look like. Wow. Th there's yeah. something yeah. here that I don't find in every church on every corner. Yeah. And so that's why I got down on my midnight, my knees and I prayed the Lord and the Lord showed me how to do it through the years. And, and, the rest is history, I guess, what you would wow. say. Wow. But the final one I used in evangelism, because evangelism will precede the return of Jesus, Matthew 24, 14. Um, that's what that's all about. And and so uh, the Spirit directs us to target a, a region or a people group. Uh, I think using evangelism, we have just engaged with an evangelist who's going to come to Columbus this year and um, do a series of crusades, hopefully near Ohio State University, because we want to reach a lot of young people. Hmm. But um, his name's Tommy Zito, and he's out of Fort Lauderdale. And he's, this guy's really got the goods. It's a holistic ministry. He'll bring 50 to 100 people with him, uh, <laughs> semi-trucks full of food, full of clothing. You know, we'll take it out to the the, the neighborhoods in the city that um, are challenged and will will minister on the streets and then there'll be nightly crusades in this one location wherever wherever that's going to be it's going to be fantastic and and so our group our apostolic network is 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 kind of overseeing that and and we believe this is going to be uh, really really good for the city and try to get some young people saved so um, we have Unity, worship, and evangelism. I, I used as as three issues in my book. There, I showed how they how they kind of uh, change through time, but yet the essence remains the same. It's beautiful. Wow. And then you use three other uh, phrases endemic to supernatural ministry: seeing the invisible, hearing the inaudible, doing the impossible. I want to make that like a mission statement. I just, yeah. those three phrases are 
huge. How has the American pastorate lost its heart for these things? And Boy. how do we get it back? Yeah, I, I put in my notes, this is a challenging question. <laughs> um, it's a great question. We, we can't vote our way out of the present mess that we're in in society, you know? Wow. Yeah. So we gotta, we got to watch out for this political thing. The whole thing yeah. is so, the world, our world, our understanding is so divided by politics, yeah. you know? And Jesus said, you know, not only watch out for the leaven of, of, of the Pharisees, watch out for the leaven of Herod. That's yeah. the political side of this thing. Right. Yes. Right. You don't yes. want to go. That's not where it's at. We've got to stick to our guns and, and where God has equipped us to. But um, so the conventional means have failed us. And now we have to access the power of God to see us through, Carolyn, in this in this mission. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I believe I believe a move of God, you know, revival, awakening uh, can bring us back to an apostolic kingdom perspective. And I, we tell people this in Columbus because it happened. It actually happened in Columbus in 1895. There's a book on this. It's called The Great Revival in 1895, Columbus, Ohio. And and about 40 or 45 pastors, all different denominations, just like what we've been doing, came together for a three-month period of prayer and um, and um, evangelism for the city. They brought a guy in from, I think he was from Tennessee, but he was there for the whole time. But, but these people came together and they had, there was actually an awakening in our city that was so deep that you hear these stories about the jails being closed and this actually happened in Columbus. The wow. bars were shut down. Cool. There were wow. no criminals in the jail. I mean, the entire city, not, not every single individual, but let's say 80% or 85% or the entire city was so impacted by this move of God that it changed, you know, changed the wow. course of Columbus for a generation. So it can happen. It can happen again. And, and so, you know, we're holding out for, but, but some of this, I think we understand in Columbus, we understand we're in the end times. And so, you know, we don't want just a revival. We, we, we want to be preparing the body of Christ for this last great in gathering that Joel talked about in Joel chapter two, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the people are just, you know, there's multitudes in the valley of decision. And, and, and that's where we're at. We want to, we want to make room for that. I, I don't know. I don't know if you really turn the traditional church around. I, I just don't know if it's possible. I think they're mm-hmm. so, you know, they're so entrenched. Plus the, 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 picture is bigger than the denominational world now. The denominational world has run its course. This is the way I see it. We've gone 500 years from Martin Luther. We have run our course. God is changing it now. It's changing it up for the last great push. And, um, you know, I think the denominations are dying. They're they're dying and they're going to die. They've 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 had their time and it's over now. So we've got to have our ear to heaven and we've got to do what the Lord says to do. Yeah. Yeah. So as we kind of circle back a little bit to like this biblical eldership that we talked to at the beginning, I'd love to hear in that vein, in that mindset, what will the next generation of charismatics look like? And what should that generation learn from those who've gone before them? And what do you see emerging in that, in that intergenerational relationship? Okay. That's a good question. Um, there is there is a worldwide movement right now to reach the next gen church and to pass on what I would call the rudiments of of the charismatic renewal um, to the next gen group. And um, actually, I'm a part of this. It's it's called Empower Twenty One. I don't know if you've mm. heard about, it, but it's it's being uh, facilitated out of Oral Roberts University. Okay. Billy Wilson is the president of Oral Roberts 
diversity, and he's the chairman of this group. And what they've done is they divided the world into 14 sections, and they've got a global council. They have a global council that oversees this whole thing. I'm on their global council, and they meet uh, once a year. And um, they're taking, they're targeting uh, the the uh, younger, the young group, the Generation Z. In fact, I'm reading his book. It's in, he's got a new book out. It's called Born for the Storm. You mm. ought to get it. Really, really something. And it's by Billy Wilson. It's called um, Generation Z, Born for the Storm. And he talks about, you know, this whole thing and what they're doing about that because we've got to target. We've got to make sure that the younger, the younger generation as, is they're purposeful, they're intentional, and they want to be directed by the Holy Spirit. And they're all about relationships, but they are not about religious denominational Christianity. It's just mm-hmm. it's just not there. Right. And that's actually a good thing. So um, we're seeing seeing a great a great move of God all over the world right now. And the whole thing about um, Empower Twenty One is. Uh, it's all about the Holy Spirit, but they're they're leading up to 2033. So I'm on a group of strategizing for this thing. I may not even be here in 2033. <laughs> I don't know. But 2033 is the 2000th birthday of Pentecost. Okay. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. And so that's what they're moving up to. And oh, wow. what they want to do is they want to, they want to, motivate the church to recognize Pentecost between now and 2033. They want to get as many churches as possible to recognize the importance of Pentecost like we recognize Easter and Christmas Mm. in the denominational world. Okay. This Pentecost thing is the deal. And so that's what they're moving toward. And um, they've got, um, it's, it's quite something to be a part of. So I, I think, but in the local church, we can still, you know, target uh, the next gen group as well. And we need to. And um, so each local church has to, um, you know, be part of a design that where that's possible. Right. Right. So, um, you know, it feels to me like, uh, the great teaching, the big teaching here is, I mean, obviously we're, we're, we're teaching the next generation and well, we're teaching our generation. We're trying to recover the Holy Spirit. Um, but, but I, it feels to me like the great emphasis for the next generation is truth. Mm. We've, we've, we've lost that sense of, of a truth that there mm. is an objective truth that can be discerned um, and and that is you know at the core at the it's at the heart of God. I mean, God is Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Yes. Um, can Can you talk just for a minute about what we've lost there, and how you see us recovering it? Yeah. Well, you know, the whole area of truth is really going to be an uphill slog because of the postmodern mindset. The, the postmodernism right. says there is no truth. And I talk about that in my book, how the poles right. are so far out right. on each end that it's really you make it up as you go. And um, that's where that's where the postmodern mindset is today. And so when you talk about, you know, one truth, this is the way the truth in life um, you can't just present that as a concept that has to be in association with a lifestyle, a supernatural lifestyle, so that people's eyes are opened through manifestations, through the power of God, through healing, through deliverance. And um, they're they're experiencing that in the the Asia, Africa, and the global south. That's why there's such fire in those areas right now. And that's really where the whole concentration of the spirit movement is, is being held. But but still, I don't think God's given up on North America, and um, and that's where we live. And so, you know, we have to do that. But right. we've got to do it in a way that um, is going to bring uh, 
some witness and integrity, I think, to the younger generation so they can see it. Right. So I really love that that thought. I mean, you, you said that, I mean, truth is going to come on the wings of the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. It, it, it just resonates with me as somebody who's particularly interested in Luke 9, 1 and 2. You know, that he sent them out with power and authority to cast out demons, cure disease, proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the truth, the proclaiming the kingdom piece was couched in these in, in these supernatural ministries. Yeah, I th- I, I'm resonating on that that truth conversation in 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 the polarization of it, etc. To to your call to like have a prophetic church, like let's be a prophetic church. Yeah. Thinking back to uh, Peter in Acts two, where he says uh, that Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. I yes. think it's going to be through the prophetic mm-hmm. that the truth is revealed to be the actual and only truth that there is. Right. Um, yes. And so you can't can't manipulate that. You can't market right. that. You can't. You know. Um, but you can sure as heck get on the get on your face and get in front of God for that. You know. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah and this this younger generation, this Gen Z, you know, I think they're, well, Billy Wilson convinced that they're going to be the most powerful generation that we've ever seen uh, once they get it, you know, once they yeah. really get it. Um, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there. And I, I really, I don't, I, I hate when people become fatalistic, you know, well, it's all gone to hell in a handbasket. We're in postmodern <laughs> era now. We're in the post-church era now. You know, like, 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 like there's the generation that follows us doesn't have the wisdom and integrity to see through the fog to what is real. And I, so, you know, I see a whole lot of hunger for, for, for authentic, um, a whole lot of hunger for simplicity, yeah. a whole lot of hunger for intentional community. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I, I see, I see uh, this next generation really circling around to some things that got lost by mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ones and so, yeah, yeah and so, there's such a need for fathering today, fathering yes. and mothering. Yes. Um, you know, I see that's really where my life is now, and, mm-hmm. and that there's such a need for it uh, mm-hmm. because of the brokenness of the generations and what they've had to come through and live through. Yeah. And so it's a great opportunity if we can get people motivated. Yeah. toward it. Amen. Amen. Dr. Scott Kelso, what a privilege to have this conversation yeah, with you. Yeah, we really enjoyed we it. Are, we are praying into your gatherings, Yes, uh, your upcoming gatherings with people across the, uh, the denominational spectrum and across the world, and just praying um, success in all of it, because you are, I, I, we absolutely believe you're on the right track. Thank you, mm-hmm. thank you, thank you for the work you've done and for the, for the paths you're paving. Thank yes. you. Amen. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And um, I don't know, I I really felt like when I wrote this book, it was almost like a dictation. I mean, it was just really came down from God. And it's it's the best one I think I've done. And so I'm hopefully, I don't know if you could promote this to the WCA, but I'd love to have as many people as possible in our stream. Absolutely. You know, read this. If they read it, if they'll just read it. I really believe the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, folks, grab your copy, Theological Violence in the 21st Century by Scott Kelso. Thanks again, Scott. Blessings on your day. You too. We'll talk again. Thank you. As you said, Carolyn, the water was deeper maybe than expected. I hope you had your floaties if you don't know how to swim. Um, I hope you were uh, prepared for that. As I listen to podcasts, as I've mentioned, at 1.5 or 2, you're going to have to slow this one down a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so let's talk through what are you um, thinking about. I've got a, I've got a takeaway I have not been able to stop thinking about from listening to him. So about, we want to hear from you first. What are you thinking about? Well, it's the whole, it's the, it's the global charismatic movement. Um, you know, we, we've we've talked about intentional community, the, yeah. the 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 small, very intentional covenant community that we found in Augusta, Georgia. We've talked about the kind of organic community that uh, that that Sean Gladding discussed with us, and now we're 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 kind of taking this to the macro level, right? And talking about the huge global community of charismatics that that span all kinds of theological lines. I mean, they cross 
um, Protestant, Catholic, non-denominational, denominational, and, and it's just it's just mind blowing. And and you know when he said that it's the largest single section of the body of Christ on earth, other than the Roman Catholic Church, we don't even think we about that. We don't think that. about we it like that. We don't think about the fact that the great move of God. I mean, we especially in the United States right now, it's oh like well, we've all gone to heck in a handbasket, you know, right. and we're. Things are things are bad. We're in a post-Christian era. All that stuff. No, friends, the move is huge and so much bigger than us. Yes, yes, so much bigger than us. I love what you said. We aren't going to vote our way out of the current climate that we're in, right? Um, and, right. and everything we're going through. I love that. Yeah, I think so often in that thought process, we think about we think we're thinking about the tree that we're living in, but we're like thinking about like the little branch right. with the little bitty leaf and not realizing we're a part of something way bigger, yeah. uh, which should humble us yeah. in the best ways um, and call us into that great work. The thing that I can't stop thinking about, and it's... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I can edit that. Okay, so come at that. So the thing that I can't stop thinking about in what he talked about was this idea of worship draws us into the very presence and heart of God. Yeah. And that that's not a new concept. That's not a new thing for me to hear. That's not a new thing that I believe. But uh, I'm going to bring in a, someone that we both love um, and we listen to, and that's Bill Johnson. Yeah. And Bill Johnson talks about that Jesus had authority because he was doing the mission in which the Father sent him to do. Mm -hmm. That's where his authority came, but his power Mm -hmm. came Mm -hmm. from his encounters with the Father, his encounters with the Spirit. And so this worship drawing us into the very presence and heart of God, that's where we receive our power. Right. That's how we're operating out of. Yeah. And so, man, talk about like reminding ourselves that worship isn't just the two songs that we do prior to the message. Right. But but worship is the the drawing us into the very presence and heart of God. And that's how we will operate in power, which Luke 9 talks about, which you're so like heavy into, um, has been leading us into mm-hmm. um, this idea of not only having authority doing what God's called us to do, mm-hmm. but doing it with power. And that power comes from being in the presence of God. And just that reminder for us. Yeah, one of our... One of our core values for this podcast is supernatural ministry. That's right. Um, so here's our challenge as we say goodbye this 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 week. Um, we want to bless you to see the invisible, hear the inaudible, and do the impossible. Go do those things. Be blessed. <laughs>